0: If you can get your mentee to document and and understand the why they want to get to wherever they want to get to, that's the biggest gift that you can give them.
1: You're listening to the Vibrant Leadership Podcast with leadership speaker and consultant Nicole Greer. Welcome to the Vibrant Leadership Podcast. My name is Nicole Greer, and I am the Vibrant Coach. And today I have a treasured guest. His name is Bill Liebler, and he has been a colleague and a friend of mine for over 10 years. Bill, I am absolutely delighted to have you on the Vibrant Leadership Podcast.
0: Thrilled to be here, Nicole. Looking forward to this.
1: Yeah, I think it's going be great. So I'm going to tell them a little bit about you, but we'll dive in deeper. But here, here's the deal on Bill Liebler and why you should listen in. Bill has been engaged in consulting, pre-sales, value selling, and channel sales for 25 plus years with Fortune 100 companies and has led teams globally in North America and in Asia Pacific focused on value selling. He has led multiple channel sales teams at IBM, which included direct sales to partners, as well as selling with and through channel partners. Today, he leads a global team of value sellers focused on driving reoccurring revenue for an ERP solution. And so he has a very unique vantage point in that the guy has been all over the planet, I'm incredibly jealous of Bill Liebler and that he knows all about sales. So Bill, tell us, tell us even more about you and maybe even like, let us see inside the window of like all the places you've been on planet earth, because I'm telling you, I'm just green with envy, everybody.
0: Well, uh, thank you, Nicole. Uh, I've been really fortunate to be able to travel Um, for work, which also um, provide an opportunity for my family to move over to Singapore for a couple of years. So um, with that, got to go a lot of cool places with my wife and daughter. There's a picture of me skipping down, or a video, actually, of me skipping down the Great Wall of China after my daughter uh, had a nasty fall trying to make her laugh. Um, Turned 50 in a balloon over Queenstown, New Zealand. We as a family swam with the whale shark in the Maldives. So we, we have been incredibly blessed. My daughter is 17. She's been to 26 countries. COVID is uh, stopping her from getting a few more. And hopefully that will pick up soon. And um, hopefully in, in my role, um, I have a team uh, in, based in London I hope to get over there soon. It's one of the one of the great cities I haven't been to, and then I have folks um in Sydney, Singapore, and Tokyo. so hopefully we'll get back to those soon and um just pick up the travels and adventures that have been so much fun.
1: No, that's so great. Yeah. So for those of you who have wanderlust, uh, the sales leadership role is a great one to get into because, uh, <laughs> as we all know, I mean this this global thing. It's a thing. I mean, we are selling all over the planet. And so I'd like to start off by just understanding how you got into leadership roles. You know, I'm assuming, like most folks, you started out as a, you know, a a beginner, uh, and then you uh, somehow they picked up on the fact that you know I think this. Guy could teach other people how to do things and lead a team. So, how did that all happen for you?
0: Wow, it's a long time ago. Um, But I I was a consultant at Deloitte, uh, consulting focused on mid market uh, companies. And uh, the group, the small group I was a part of, we we grew, we did well. And ultimately, uh, the manager I worked for left. And so, I got the opportunity to move into management there. And began to go through their management leadership training. I ended up going to work for a client um, leading IT for that organization, then moved on to another one. So over about six or seven years, kind of built leadership skills within uh, Companies helping not only drive the IT function, but because of my background, I was able to help drive operational improvements sales, CRM integrations, and and Nicole, that experience really helped me when I ended up leaving that and moving into the software business and and making that change. I went back to being an individual contributor for a short time and then jumped into leading consulting delivery teams as well as uh, pre-sales teams. So... Everywhere I've been, including my current role, uh, where I spent three years as an individual contributor and then applied for and, and um, received the global job a few months ago, I, I think it really just came down to one: I was willing to say, "Hey, I want to do that." I, I knew early on that that I was interested in management. That led into the what's the difference between being a manager and a leader. And, and I guess it, it's partly personality, it's partly desire to, uh, some folks prefer to stay in the background, others don't mind being up front, and I guess I'm one of those uh, don't mind being up front guys.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, and so uh, what really important thing that Bill just said, I don't want you to miss, because he, he gave us a lot right there, but one thing I want you to hear is he said he put his hand up. And I think this is a huge habit um, that young leaders need to really understand that, you know, uh, when you see there's a need, you hear the other leaders saying, we got to get this done. And you think you have an idea or something you can contribute, you got to put your hand up, you got to get in the volunteer mode. Um, So, really, really huge tip he gave you right there. And then I think your other comments about personality and desire, you know, is putting your personality to work for you and then having a desire. Well, uh, so. You know, I like to call that desire thing, Bill, a willingness. You know, it's like, uh, oh. I, yeah, so I think I think that's really important. Okay, so uh, I want you to, you know, that, that little space of time you were talking about, what were the things you did right during that period? You know, like if you were to think about the habits, you know, I have a shine coaching methodology, and one of the things I want all leaders to think about is their habits. So were there things that you repeatedly did or just good ideas that you put to work in that time frame that got you ahead?
0: Yeah, just to clarify, the time frame of going from being an individual contributor to a leader, yeah, I think it's a combination of I've never been afraid to work, you know, look for opportunities. Uh, in consulting, you you had to take risks. You had to be comfortable really, you know, going in and leading efforts. And at, at, quite frankly, a very young age of, of being able to walk in and, and do that. I think a couple of things that paid off for me was one, I built relationships with yes. the clients. And so unsolicited, you know, many of them would communicate to um, the partners and the managers I worked with that, you know, hey, we really appreciate the way this project was executed. We appreciate it you know, how um, I engaged with them. And so it was about building internal and external relationships that I think highlighted the fact that I was executing a job that was oftentimes one or two or three of us on a team. It was not, you know, a massive team because we we just the clients we were focused on. So I think that and the fact that I, you talked about raising your hand. I, I, for instance, became kind of the de facto editor for the team. They realized that I could take, you know, deliverables and clean them up and not only just fix grammar and things like that, but actually Package yeah. it in a way that just improved it. So, you know, being willing to put extra time in to help the overall team uh establish the fact that if I had those habits, as you put it, that those habits would translate into potentially being a good manager and, and potentially a good lead.
1: Mm, that's awesome. Okay, so here's the things that he said, to build relationships internally and externally, write that down, everybody, and to be the de facto editor or be, be have like con, some kind of special role that you place yourself in that makes the team successful. But I will tell you, grammar is a thing. I have seen so many PowerPoints where you're doing there, like there's T-H-E-R-E, there's T-H-E-I-R, there's T-A, you know, I mean, there's the contraction. Um, so like, you know, knowing your grammar. And then another thing he said, maybe a couple of paragraphs back, everybody, I don't want you to miss, is he said um, that I help them put, do operations. So there's a big piece of business acumen uh, you just can't be the salesperson. You have to actually have well-rounded business acumen. how did you pick up your business acumen along the way? How did you learn how a company really runs? Because at the end of the day, the salesperson needs to understand how this cost of this product is gonna fit into the bottom line, right? And so this has to do everything with operations once we put the software in. So how did you figure out business acumen? how that happen? I know you went to Appalachian State.
0: I did did uh, an MBA certainly um, helped. So this is a this is a great question because it's a conundrum we face today with so many younger folks, particularly where I am now. We we have an entire team of people who are uh, one or two years out of college that we're trying to help them. I got really fortunate. I I my first job out of grad school was actually selling computers and I was focused on selling to manufacturing companies. And there was a gentleman there with years and years of experience, um, and he was willing to teach a class. So every Tuesday or every other Tuesday, whatever it was, I had to drive an hour, sit down from four to seven o'clock and go through the training for the American Production Inventory Control Society, or APEX as it's known today, and at the end of that, we had to get certified. We had to be able to pass the class. So it was a ton of work, but it was really interesting. Um, so I got that Apex certification, Certified in Production Inventory Management. I then followed that up on my own and dug into what they called Certified and Integrated Resource Management. So work through that curriculum as well, pass the test. And I was fortunate in that I got to go spend a lot of time with customers or prospects, walking around their plants, walking around their businesses. When, when I moved over to Deloitte and got into consulting, um, it was the same thing. I, I'm curious, I'm not afraid to ask questions. I I don't ever believe that you have to, you have to establish your credibility, but you can do that through asking, Good questions and listening versus having to come in thinking you know everything. And so, to me, the business, the business acumen grew through that willingness to engage, to ask questions. I remember the first time I went through a furniture, a poster furniture plant. It's like, why do they do this? Why do they do that? It, and just learning about it. And the thing I have found over 30-plus years of doing this is if you can get a customer or prospect, the, the thing they like to talk about the most is their business, their company. Obviously, their families, maybe their hobbies are a good way for a little personal connection, but if you can get them talking about their business, you will learn if if you listen. I was telling someone the other day, the old line, you know, your your mother or grandmother told you i was, Two ears and one mouth. Use them in that um, ratio. I'm a firm believer you actually have two ears and two eyes and one mouth. Use them in that ratio. So if you can ask questions and be quiet and listen, and you're curious and will work outside, you know, the normal requirements to build the business acumen and wherever you are, whether that's how to be a better seller, whether it's um, how to understand business better, whether it's you know figuring out you talked earlier about a, you got to understand cost versus the value of the product um, understanding what makes your target market audience tick. that's what my team and I do all day we ask questions we listen we, we are looking for where can we help link What our product does to their business to improve gross margins or improve revenue or take costs out or make them more efficient so I said a lot there and I'll let you summarize.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, and that's, that's kind of my style is I want people to, you know, really take away the nuggets because sometimes my guests like you, Bill, have just so much genius to share. It's crazy. Yeah. So um, this is what, this is what he just said. First of all, he was throwing out lots of business acumen lingo just now. Okay. So if you don't know what those phrases mean, then that is a, a total like wake up that you have to understand how the PL works, the profit and loss statement works. You got to understand the ins and outs of that. And you may think that your client customer isn't gonna share that with you, But if you've been quiet and listening and asking very good questions, they'll be like, okay, this person is not a dummy I'm dealing with. And so now I can start to open up the veil and share some of what's really going on. And that's when you can take your product that you're selling and match it with his pain points, right? So really, really good stuff. And then I love what you said that um, you'll get way more credibility if you will just ask the questions and be curious, and do great listening, instead of going in thinking you know everything. Yeah, so that's one of the biggest mistakes salespeople can make. Would you agree, Bill?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think I see it a lot in in the younger sellers I work with. They, They feel like they have to come in and really prove something, and it's enough to have a short opening, give them a chance to at least listen to you, but I'm a firm believer that particularly in selling, the more that you can build your credibility through asking questions and listening. And then when you hear an answer, peel it back some more, dig in. Um, I actually teach our our first year folks that go through our their business development reps. So they're on the phone, they're prospecting, they're taking inbound calls. I have a slide, and there's a little dog who's digging a hole. And the next picture is is a guy standing in a hole about 10 feet deep. And I'm like, this is one time where you absolutely don't stop digging. And you you do it professionally, you do it politely, you don't interrupt. But when somebody says something, like, one of my favorite is our reporting isn't very good. And and I hear all the time the feedback from from the young reps. Oh, they need new system because the reporting isn't very good. So what? What does that mean? And it's just one it's one or two more questions. Well, how does that impact you? Does does it impact you and the time it takes to get the information, or or are you what are you having to do to try to make decisions? Oh, we we have a whole bunch of Excel spreadsheets. Do you think you're missing something? Well, yeah. And there you can just then plant the seeds of, well, if you had that information, do you think you could improve gross profit a point or two? Or do you think you could reduce inventory? Do you think you could drive more e commerce business, whatever their, you know, business is to then be able to address that? I, I think is is so key.
1: Yeah. And, you know, as I'm listening to you, you're giving us this great sales advice, but then I'm also thinking in my mind uh, is that this relates totally to being a leader. And so you have many people that report to you, you know, and when you're talking with your employees or your associates about what's going on, you know, trying to get a report out of them. And they're like, everything's fine. You know, I'm thinking that these same skills that you're talking about, um, you know, digging, digging, digging are skills of a leader. Is that how you, well, tell us a little bit about how you handle your team. You know, I think all leaders kind of handle their teams differently. And when I say handle, I don't mean like a dog trainer. I mean, like, you know, how do you work it into your day? You know, like how do you handle it for yourself? Because um, many of the leaders out there are actually doing a day job, and then they're also responsible for other people. I mean, it's a it's a very heavy lifting thing. We all know to be a leader. So, how do you kind of juggle all that? What what is your what is your process or procedure that you put in place to kind of handle all that?
0: And it is a challenge. And and for the last three months, moving into this new leadership role here, I have been doing my old day job and and the new one. Right, right. But I, I think. You know, part of it is, I, I kind of have this thought process of, of you lead from behind, beside, and in front. Mm, and I love that. Some people are, are kind of like, huh? But, but the in front part is, how can we get a mutually agreed upon vision and mission? And and not one that I just write in hand to people, but how do we have an agreement of where are we going? What are we trying to do? And I know you're you're big on mission statements and and having a mission. so yep. that's the in front part. the The beside part is scheduling the time to you know do one on one calls to and and not have those just focused on the numbers and the execution. Um, I had one this morning with with our team lead in London, and yeah, we talked about, because we just finished our year. So we talked about, you know, how did the year end? Let's talk about goals for next year. But we also talked about, hey, what's going on in the UK with COVID going on? You know, how's the wife? How are the kids? Are you able to get out and ride your bike again? Are you able to go to the pub with friends? So it's, you know, it's about leading, but also scheduling enough time. So it's not just curt perfunctory Check boxes on, hey, here are your KPIs. You're doing good here. You're not doing good there. What are you going to do to fix this. I mean, if you don't, at least for me, if I don't have some of that connection and I'm purposeful about when we have those conversations, you make time for them. And it's the same thing. If I get a call or or, uh, a Slack message from someone, I do my best to respond quickly. And I, I'm a firm believer, as is the person I work for now, that, you know, the people are the most important aspect. So, you know, you can park a spreadsheet or something you're doing and, and, and engage in that conversation. And then the, the behind part is really working so that your team knows you have their back. Mm. And and it's not that you're, um, you know, back there shoving them from behind, but that they they know whether it's. Um, we recently you know, had had someone whose daughter reached into her book bag in a spiral thing from a spiral notebook and somehow come loose. And it went so far into her thumb, she had to go to the hospital and, and literally oh, removed. And so when when Andy let me know, I'm like, okay, dude, you know, do you need to go to the hospital? Do I need to pick up whatever customer calls you? What do I need to do? In that case, we didn't, but he knew that that was an option. That if, you know, recently, you know, a couple months ago, my mother passed away. I had a person I worked for, and my team was behind me. I mean, and it becomes a, a reciprocal thing where when folks trust you, that you're sheltering them from corporate, the corporate storm, I'll say, instead of something less appropriate, When you're doing that and you're walking beside them and they know that you have your back, I think it sets the right tone and it it empowers people to go execute But also gives them the comfort that they can reach out and say, I need help and and that you aren't going to be like judgmental about the fact that they are reaching out for help.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And so um, I love a, a lot of what you just said. But um, the thing I think is is so important is that you said leave from the front, from the side, from beside and from behind. Uh, I think that that is huge, that leaders need to get their head wrapped around that. So I love what you said there. And then, hey, did y'all hear that vocabulary word of the day that Bill Liebler Throughout out there, because I want to tell you something about Bill Liebler is he is a big word person. Uh, we didn't talk, you didn't mention this in your habits, uh, but what is one of your greatest habits, Bill? What do you do almost every day?
0: I read things and I look at the word of the day. <laughs>
1: is a huge reader, okay? And so we all know if you're gonna lead, you better read. And so I think that's so important. So so Bill reads everything from stuff that's spiritual to economics to whatever. so what what's your latest sales book? What's the most interesting sales book you've been reading lately? You could throw it out for everybody. Um, maybe a recommend or not recommend. We'll see what it is.
0: Yeah, it's a and I'm not sure how widely available it is. It's a book called Evolved Selling. Um, And it's it's by a gentleman named Tom Pasello, P-I-S-E-L-L-O. I've known Tom since, well, 2004. In fact, I recently did a podcast with Tom. And it's all about, he he has spent his career focused on um, value-based selling. In fact, he he has trademarked himself as the ROI guy. So we, we have a running joke that when people call me that at work, I tell them that hey, you're violating this guy, who I know is trademarked.
1: He's trademark. so He suggested <laughs> I,
0: I should be the ROI dude. And I don't think I want to run with that, but yeah. um, but evolved selling is, it's it's really about what's different today in the sense that the sales cycles are different, consumers are so much more educated by the time somebody reaches out to a company to learn more about their product. Generally, they've researched it. They know where you stand in the industry. They dug into so much about it that sellers have to be more comfortable picking it up with a a buyer that is educated. But he also points out consistently that particularly in technology sales, but I think it's true across a wide spectrum of of products and solutions is that they don't have time or they don't necessarily know how to map their business needs to a product and create a business case. And so it's all about, you know, how do you reach the audience, but then how do you engage with them and how do you deliver value-based messaging How do you sell with value? How do you get out of the feature function? You know, in in the IT world, you know, we, we call it the speeds and feeds and get more into what's the impact on the business and really understanding how you do that. And then Tom branches out into more of how do you go about it digitally and some other things he sold his company to or merged with, with another larger, um, Organization and, and just doing some really cool stuff. So I'm just not sure. I happen to get a copy f- directly from him. Um, I believe it's available on Amazon, but I'm not 100% sure.
1: Okay, well we will check it out, put in the show notes for sure for everybody. We'll see what's going on there. But I don't want you to miss what Bill just said. He he said, you know, instead of uh, the way I grew up when sales was features and benefits. What do they call it in the IT world? Say it again.
0: Feeds and speeds. Speeds and feeds.
1: Okay. All right. I just learned something again. All right. So um, so uh, we we got to figure out how the product um, ends up being a something that we can turn into a business case for the organization. Did I get that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's got to make sense to the bottom line. Again, understanding how that p l works and how much time, money, and energy we're going to save um, the organization is absolutely huge. And I thought maybe not ROI dude, but ROI guru. I think you're more of a guru, dude. <laughs> I'm thinking right now, I think you're a guru. Okay. All right. Well, so we've talked a lot about, you know, sales and, you know, in the sales operation. And I I know for a fact that you have tons of one on ones. And um, I'm going to call that coaching. I'm going to put this word on top of that one on one. So while Bill is building rapport internally, which he said earlier, um, I know he's also coaching when he's on this call, you know, so asking those powerful questions, using his two ears, his two eyes and his one mouth. Uh, so I know that that's going on. So how would you define leadership, Bill? You've you've gone through the journey, you know, you understand the difference between managing people, which is let's get the tasks done. But what is what is leadership in your mind? What's your definition?
0: It really goes back to kind of that, he would go back but it's that up front, beside, behind is is how the structure. But I think you know if if you want to define that more clearly, maybe it's yeah, um, just that the the ability to inspire you know, a group of people to engage on the journey with you, and you know the metaphor maybe it's kind of like if you if you hire a guide. I was thinking about this, Nicole. When we went to Beijing, I'd been there a bunch, of family I hadn't been, we hired a guide. She was the expert. She took us around. We trusted her. We trusted her vision. You know, we listened. Um, we asked a lot of questions. When she suggested we go to the Ming Tombs in the morning and the Great Wall in the afternoon, we didn't argue. There was nobody at either site for a place that's usually like, you know, Chinese Disneyland. So I think that's part of it is that that you establish the, the credibility with your team that they trust and believe in the vision. They have enough trust in you to raise questions. I, I'm a big believer in something that's disappearing from corporate America, and that okay. is that a little bit of professional conflict is a really good thing. Unfortunately, we're getting a little touchy-feely in in corporate amounts on some of the. Now, it can also go to an extreme, so you have to know when to stop it. But being open to listening to other people's ideas, being willing to adjust your plan. The folks who are down doing the day-to-day jobs know a lot. And so the other thing as a leader is you have to be able to lead without you know, being so far down in the day-to-day that, that you you miss out on all the other things you have to do, but you also have to um, know, okay, who in the organization can I trust to bring me good feedback to tell me what's going on, what's working well, what's not, and being willing to take that, consume it, think about it, and and make changes. Sometimes you have to make changes on the fly. Sometimes you've thought it out really well. And let's go to the Ming Tombs in the morning. It's empty. The Great Wall of China is empty in the afternoon. Um, if not, we're going to be in the hordes of people. You know, that's a thought out plan that you're executing. But you also have to adjust on the fly. Um, and so it, it's a tough thing to, you know, write the one sentence. Leadership is it's probably why, you know, John Maxwell and others were able to write books and, you know, and they can could, they could put it into or, that.
1: Well, John says thing, it's one thing, influence. You know, Nicole Greer adds one word right. to it. I think it's positive influence. Well you know?
0: and that's a lot of what I'm saying is yeah. you you influence people into agreeing with where you're trying to go. You do it positively, and certainly that's that's leadership. How do you manifest that? How do you create an environment where you are creating positive influence and you're getting real feedback. So, you know, one of the greatest examples I can give you is I had an employee comfortable enough to call me years ago and tell me at the end of a call about their forecast and everything that I wasn't myself. And I knew something was wrong. And I, it was a wake up call that, wow, I, I had to do some changing. I had to adjust, you know, that whatever was gnawing at me was was coming through and and, she was a good enough person and had enough courage and trusted me that she she could say that. So I think it's also because, you know what, you you can do a lot of negative influence as
1: a leader as well. hundred percent. Yeah. And, you know, Bill, I think that boils down to the quality of your character. And, you know, um, I, I talk about character a lot. And the problem with character or integrity is everybody thinks they have it. <laughs> and and the, and the reality is is like uh, integrity is not like a permanent state it like it comes and goes like I have good days and I have bad days you know if you're around me on my bad day I'm probably a negative influence because uh you might get a little you know gripe come out of my mouth and then now you all have heard it you know so so I think it's really being able to stay in character or know when you're not in the best state and like you know, pull yourself back. Now, what I heard, what I heard you say in your story is that this this gal practiced like radical candor with you.
0: Oh, it was. I mean, but she and she even yeah. asked permission to do it.
1: Oh, I love and that I said, too. You
0: can tell me anything. Yeah, you can tell me anything. And I knew she would do it in a in a very uh, caring way. And right. so, yeah, I, I I do think there are times and people that you have to gently massage to get hmm. them to change and to not put them on, you know, kind of on the defensive, right? Don't feel like right. they're back in the corner. There's other people that kind of need the deep tissue massage, right? They, they, they need to, to feel a little bit of a squeeze to um, say, hey, wait a minute. Wow, I I needed to know that. And, and, and I think it's hard to do that Without knowing the person and knowing a little bit about them um, and knowing what makes them tick, you no. Know, but it, but if you can't and you approach everyone exactly the same, it's going to resonate with some. It's going to be just a disaster with others.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so I'm kind of also hearing that, like, you've got to read their personality um, back to the two eyes and the two ears, you know, observe how this person is and then try to figure out the right approach, which, of course, is sales. Wouldn't you say that leading and sales are very close? What's the similarity yeah, in your mind between le- leadership and sales? Right. I think they're very close, actually. Well, it's, you no, know, I think that's an interesting
0: point. And you look at a lot of the best sellers never want to leave and go into management or leadership, right? But the best ones do lead and lead very well. They, they organize a team around them to work an opportunity. Um, in our world, there can be two of them. There can be 20 of them, um, all playing different roles, all having to be orchestrated, all needing leadership on where do you want this to go? Because if the salesperson isn't leading it, someone else is going to Step up and try to. So I think a lo- there are a ton of similarities, and particularly around one knowing should they engage in this sale or not. I think it's one of the hardest things to teach new sellers is not to fall in love with every deal because there's bad deals out there. So you know what? Don't spin your wheels on this when there's three over here that that you could do something with. So so having that. Ability to recognize it and the courage to walk away is one aspect of it. But then the other is just really, uh, you know, the organizational aspects, the ability to get the team behind working with you. But then they also subtly lead the customer. Customers buy certain things every day, right? They they buy pens and papers and pen, whatever every day. They don't buy new Enterprise resource planning systems is going to run their whole business. They don't buy, you know, million dollar pieces of equipment. They don't buy new expensive trucks or Specialty equipment or MRI machines or whatever it is that that you're selling or big consulting projects or small consulting projects or coaching engagements right Um, So being able to work with a customer and figure out how do I lead them through this process without crossing the line of them saying, hey, wait a second, you know, you you got the ring through my nose and you're dragging me down a path I don't wanna go down. But it's it's that subtlety again of building the rapport so that when you suggest a next step, they're comfortable with it and it feels comfortable I, I tell my team in value selling, our job is to, by the end of presenting a business case to a customer, that it's theirs. If we do that, we've done our job. If they haven't agreed with it and they haven't bought into it, we failed. It's got to become theirs. And, and that's the same thing. You're leading them through, hey, here's my logic, here's the impacts, you agree with this. What could we do differently? Do we need to tweak something? And those those skills really, really are key. And and I I will tell you, Nicole, the, the best sellers I've worked with are absolutely leading that sales process and the team around them and their customers.
1: Yeah. And if I just take everything you just said, which you should probably rewind and listen to, everybody, because <laughs> Uh, even if you're not in sales, he's talking about, like, let's say you have a change you want to bring into your organization. Like, for example, you're talking about computers and the software because that's all that's that's Bill's major expertise. But I'm working on a project right now where there's resistance to the new software because like that's phase two of this whole thing is like Bill sells you the software and now you as the leader have to get everybody happy. <laughs> about this new process. But what he said was, um, you know, you've got to build the rapport and you've got to take people through what you were thinking when you went through the process, what your logic was, I think you said, you know, and that it becomes their project, not the leader's project. This isn't the organization's software change. This is my software change, right? So um, I think everything you're saying just beautifully relates right over to any, really any kind of uh, role as a leader. Well, you know, you have been all um, over the world.
0: I was just going to say, change, change management is one of the hardest things to lead through, so you're you're spot on.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And so, if you don't have rapport with your people, because there's two things required for change: is um, engagement and commitment, <laughs> right? If because you know, a lot of people be like, I'm just going to sit back, wait, see how this change happens. We'll see what goes on. I'm just going to keep doing my job, you know. But like, if you can sell your people on the value of the change, then, you know, then you've got magic starting to happen. Uh, Okay. So I, I I have serious wanderlust. Bill, Bill knows this. He's painfully aware, but if you notice right behind his head is a large map. Okay. (laughs) So uh, he's, he's been, how many countries have you been to Bill?
0: Somewhere between 35 and 40.
1: Okay. All right. So I, I think the way of the world is, um, well, you know, we've been we've been we've been virtual for a lot of a lot of months now. But I I do think that if you really yeah. want to help somebody and you want to sell something to somebody, you have to understand their environment. So I I think salespeople will still be getting on planes. That's that's what my imagination tells me. But uh, when they go off to these other countries, and let's say I'm like I'm a I'm a sales leader, and I'm gonna be taking on a global position where I'm gonna manage people like you in London and all these different places. Um, you know, you've learned a lot about culture. So, what what would it, what would you tell a brand new leader who's going to have people in different countries? I mean, I have I have a brother-in-law who managed people in India for the first time, and like he's he's a great guy from Wilkes County, North Carolina. I mean, and now he's managing people in India. So, like, this is a thing. What would you say about the global leadership piece?
0: It's a unique challenge in the sense that. It's hard to really be able to dig in from afar and understand you know what's different between the Indian culture compared to you know the German culture or compared to you know the Brazilian culture, if you will. so so part of it is again, trying to engage them in a way where um, they they do see the vision and they do understand what you were just talking about, That Okay, I need to be committed. I need to to do these things. But but you also you know I, I mean to me your point about getting on airplanes that that is by far when when I lived in Singapore I had I had a team in Eastern Europe I had two folks in India I had five people in China I had somebody in Australia I had somebody in Korea. Um somebody in brazil i I got out there with them and not only went to their offices and sat down internally, but I went out to customers with them. I went out to understand what is the difference between and, and I was it is value selling again so so a sales support role, but what's the difference between how people in Jakarta look at value versus how does somebody in, you know, Sydney, and you can default to some things, okay, Sydney is much more like the U.S. than Jakarta is, but I find that you know, that that is so important. And it's so hard, particularly now, so many of the teams are global. Uh, I I have a friend with a large technology company responsible for basically customer deployments at major corporations he's got folks in India, he's got folks in, you know, the U S he's got folks in Europe, he's got folks in, um, you know, Eastern Europe. And you're trying to make it a cohesive team is about setting some standards and some expectations and doing it in, in a manner that that can be acceptable. The other part is to me, I mean, I, I, when, when I, I luckily my, the person on my team in in Sydney, I've known for forever. And so it was really easy to talk with him. But I mean, when he says, well, it may be 2024 before you can see me here. I'm like, excuse me, you know, and, and I don't need to Are go figure out Rob in, in Australia, but, um, I do, I do want to go back just cause I, I love the country, but you know, I do want to get to Tokyo and sit down with the person there. Cause the Japanese culture is so unique and, and, The way that they engage internally and externally is so different. I want to understand what's working and what's not. And maybe I can help sometimes being the um, outsider and, and viewed with, you know, a certain different perception can really help a leader go in. And you can get meetings that your team can't. And you can have conversations they can't. And it's a chance to listen. It's a chance to get perspective. You know one of the best stories I ever heard was a high school principal who was on an elevator in Korea, and he was wearing a jacket that said he was a high school principal and he He didn't think twice about it. Everybody he interacted with on that elevator getting off was so deferential to him, and he finally asked somebody what what's going on?" They said, "Oh, you're a high school principal in korea you, you are revered you you are." There's so much respect for what you do. They will treat you very, very special. And he was like, oh, wow. <laughs> it's very different than sometimes I was treated in the U.S. So, you know, part of it is understanding that. i not sad. What's oh, my gosh. What's, what's I know. But it, but it was a cool story to hear. But it also gave you a perspective of, you know, you have to go in respecting their culture. You can't go in and you will do it our way you will do it the way we do it here so it it takes patience it takes working through it takes again asking questions and understanding but it also at the end of the day you've got to have you know something for them that motivates them to perform and you know ultimately leadership is about influence but you want that influence to get an outcome so what can you do? If if you can't go be there, you know, at least Zoom you can meet face to face, you can talk, you can try to understand, and you will find there are some cultures that, you know, in China, no doesn't mean no and yes doesn't mean yes necessarily. My other my big tip on cultures where you don't speak the language is absolutely have someone with you that speaks the language can understand the subtleties because they need to be your coach so you can learn and be better because if not, you're you're very exposed. And and forcing someone to speak English will probably not lead to a great outcome if, if they are comfortable with it. So
1: Yeah. That was a lot right. again. <laughs> no, I think I think I think there are people that are you know, going into these positions that are like, you know, excited, you know, because they have the wanderlust, they're they're curious about other countries, they want to go places, do things. But then it's like, OK, how do I learn the difference between China and um, you said uh, Brazil and, you know, Germany, et cetera? I mean, I, and one one time I uh, Bill and I had a call together and uh, I'm like, where are you? Where, do you remember where you were? You were eating like a sausage somewhere outside on a patio. What, like Croatia or <laughs> someplace like that? Oh, it I don't
0: know. It might have been, it could have been Lithuania, although it was really cold when I was there. So I wouldn't have been outside. It could have been.
1: How could have been you were so fantastic. <laughs> it was it was really cool. So I mean, I think that I think uh, Bill's uh, uh, life story and his his sales career is really one to to take a look at. You can do all these exciting things. Okay, last question I've had you on here a long time, but I think we're learning a lot today. So I want to ask you this single question, this last question. If you were mentoring a single special listener, who's listening right now. And you said, okay, here's my final piece of advice. What piece of advice would you give them? I, I
0: think th- that it would be, and I'm assuming the question is from the perspective of uh, the mentor Yeah, yeah. is to, is to work with that person to get them to articulate where they want to go. Why do they want to go there? What does it mean to them? I've got someone on my team right now who can't answer that question. And multiple of us have worked, tried to work with him. He's exceptionally bright, has really good ideas, but it's kind of like, well, yeah, I kind of think I want to, you know, maybe go into management. Okay. Why? And if they can't answer that, Then I think as a mentor, you got to go challenge them. Go go be able to answer the why. You know, the how is on a scale of one to 10, a how is a three, the why is the nine or the 10, right? You know, why do you, you know, I got to ask that question, Nicole, after being here three years, being a happy individual contributor, putting in way less hours, (laughs) way less headaches, out on calls at seven o'clock at night with Asia Pacific, and I could answer that why. You know, I I missed leadership. Um, I missed having a global perspective. I missed understanding the business at a bigger point of view. So I could I could articulate the why when I went through the series of interviews and had a panel with four people. So I think that when I thought about that question, it really came down to if you can get your mentee to document. And, and understand the why they want to get to wherever they want to get to. That's the biggest gift that you can give them. Absolutely. But it has to come from them, right? It's just like what you do with coaching. Work through why do you want to go there. Um, and, if, and if you can do that, you both win. Because yeah. the mentee is going to always be like, wow, they really helped me get clarity um, which I know is another one of your big, big hot button words, which which is yes. awesome. But it also helps them understand the why not, and that that may oh. be equally as poor, as important is why why wouldn't you want to do that, um, and be able to do that? You know, plus minus. I when I decided to apply for the role I have now, I had a plus minus sheet, and I just sat there and took an hour and wrote down, and the pluses far outweighed the minuses, and. I went and talked to my wife about some of the minuses and got her buying. But, you know, I knew then, yes, I want to pursue this. If that why not list had been really long, I would have just comfortably kept on keeping up.
1: So Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome. So, uh, you know, I, I have this little TED talk that's about six years old now. I got to get another one cooking now that the the uh we can take our mask off and all get together um and uh and one of the things that i ask people all the time is you know their why and they are you know why are you doing this or what do you really want is my question and they go i don't know like that's the default answer it's almost like we, we shouldn't go after what we want but here here's here's the most important thing Uh, that tie this all in a little bow here is Bill is saying, if you can help as a leader, if you can help your, your followers, your mentee, as you said, figure out their why, and it's their why, then they don't say, I don't know, they know that they know that they know that they know that they're doing the right thing. And it's an intrinsic motivation. And instead of an extrinsic motivation, it comes from within their body. That sounds weird, but that's exactly how it is. When you said earlier, I have a a desire and I called it willingness. When that "why" is answered, the willingness button gets pushed. And so I just, I just love what you said. So Bill, it has been absolutely delightful to be with you today. I enjoyed chatting with you so much. Uh, If we have, we might do another like sales series in the future, and I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into value selling. Would you come back and hang out with me for another 40 minutes or so? Would you do that? Do you have time any, in your busy any, schedule?
0: <laughs> uh, you know, we've made time uh, to be on the phone from all corners of the world. So I will always make time for you to go That's
1: fantastic. That's fantastic. If somebody wanted to get a hold of you, Bill, and find out more about you or, you know, tap you for something, uh, would there be a way that you would like for them to get a hold of you?
0: Yeah, um, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, just Bill Liebler, L-I-E-B-L-E-R. That's probably the best way. Too much email in my world, so... uh,
1: No, no, that's perfect.
0: Yeah, so uh, that would probably be the absolute best way.
1: Yeah, so go on there. When you go into Connect, it says, do you want to write a message? Say Yes. And so say, dear Bill, I heard you on the Vibrant Leadership Podcast. I'd like to pick your brain for 10 minutes. Can I do that? And um, Bill's the kind of guy that will let you do it. All right. It's been great to be with all you fine people. Thank you so much, Bill Liebler, for being with me today on the Vibrant Leadership Podcast.
0: You're welcome, Nicole. It was fun.